Welcome to the Productivity Podcast. Delighted to be joined by Piers Linney, entrepreneur and for most people will be known as a former investor on Dragon's Den. Hi Piers. Hi, how are you? Yeah, good, thank you. Strange times, but well, so that's all, all we can hope for. I think it'd be good for the listeners if you gave us some background of your career and how you've got to where you are today, because we probably only know you primarily from sitting in the chair in Dragon's Den. Yeah, okay. Well, well thanks for inviting me on your podcast. So yeah, my background's quite varied. It's worth, I won't go through the whole story, because you'll need a different podcast. But uh, <laughs> so my background is I kind of grew up in a Lancashire town. I ended up, worked reasonably hard, I managed to get into university, I ended up becoming a, a, a venture capital lawyer in the city. So I'm actually a qualified lawyer. I went from my sort of comprehensive school to the bright lights of the city of London. And then I got interested in the, I was a venture capital lawyer briefly, and I wanted to be doing the deals, not the guy, you know, writing them up. So I ended up going yeah. to investment banking, did that for a while. And then I came out of that in the first dot-com wave, that was my first foray into sort of business, really, in terms of big business. I always had side businesses along the way, ever since my paper round when I disintermediated my local newsagent and bought from the wholesaler direct and started a Sunday paper around the age of 13. So I've always had businesses along the way, but I kind of went into business really during the first dot-com wave and I was into the pharmaceuticals. Then that was, I sort of started just before the crash. It wasn't the best timing, but you get to learn a lot in these difficult times as we're all learning right now, to be honest with you. And then I ended up um, going into finance where I made my first money really, uh, hedge funds, and then I was always interested in kind of the, the next thing, really. That's what interests me. And I got involved in a sort of technology, media, and telecoms, more the technology and the telecoms. And uh, I built a couple of businesses in um, telecoms, sold that. We had the largest B2B provider of mobile in the UK for a time. And I've been in cloud. Uh, some businesses, you know, you made money. Some businesses you haven't, as you know. And... More recently, I've been focused on things that interest me with people I want to work with. So these range from um, additive manufactured bikes to putting um, video cameras into space to a new um, SME proposition I'm looking at. I'm proud to sit on the board of British Business Bank. So some of you may have been involved in looking at getting a C-bills loan or a bounce back loan. That's what we've been spending my um, many hours on conference calls as a director of the board working on things like that. So I've got a varied background. It's kind of professional, entrepreneur, and I've done a bit of TV. So Secret Millionaire, of course, Dragon's Den. And Dragon's Den was, you know, was, gave, gave me a profile, but um, it's, you know, I invested in companies like um, Lost My Name, which is the children's, um, personalized children's book, which you may have heard of. And that's probably one of the most successful investments on there. So that was an interesting experience, but I've kind of moved on from that now. But people, People don't really understand my background. So I have a lot of experience in building businesses, scaling businesses, process systems, and a lot of what you do has been really interesting talking to you. So an amazing portfolio there and leads us nicely into kind of the, the productivity angle on all of those bits with your experience from all different sectors and industries. Times are difficult at the moment. We're in lockdown, hopefully coming out the other end. This week, as we record, there's talks of a quite deep recession, big productivity challenges, certainly in the UK and other markets. From your knowledge of other businesses and the ones you're involved in, what do you see as kind of the biggest productivity challenges, not necessarily related to COVID, but more general? So I was a trustee of Nesta, which is probably the largest innovation charity no one's ever heard of. It's a 
450 million pound endowment that was came from the national lottery and they did the seminal research in um, productivity not just in the uk but across europe and on, on a macro level there is a, a productivity challenge in the uk and if you look at the kind of you know, the charts of who's doing well and who isn't we're kind of at the bottom and there's also different reasons for that but it, it's a real issue now We've been through a difficult period, both politically and socially, in terms of looking at Brexit and where that's going to go. That's now being kind of lost in many ways in the noise of COVID. Yep. All of these things is, and I'm a huge believer in businesses, you know, especially small businesses, but like we under, you know, 250 employees, they're quite big companies, some of them. And they're the engines of the economy. I'm sure you've all heard that before. But as we climb back to sort of, you know, global relevance in terms of post-Brexit, and now, post-COVID, especially with the government, you know, printing and borrowing huge amounts of money, business is what is going to, you know, right the ship and fix our economy and keep us relevant globally. And what these challenges do, if, you, if you're in business, I'm sure many people listening are, is it, it kind of, when it, in the good times when the revenue is coming in, the customers are paying and your suppliers are doing what they should be doing and you can afford to pay them, um, you can grow. But... As things become more difficult, the issues in your business begin to show. The things you have you've ignored, the challenges you know you should be you should have dealt with, they become really important. As revenues get squeezed, margins get squeezed, you've got to start looking at efficiency. And of course, everyone starts to look at these days is technology. I'm a big believer in that in terms of being able to, you know, improve the top line and reduce costs, improve margins and profits and growth through tech. But a lot of it, and I do many videos on uh, sort of efficiency and productivity, are about you know people, processes, systems, and if you haven't got your ducks in a row, then you're going to be less competitive in a very competitive environment where customers will be harder to find, and so will capital. And it's really important that you absolutely ensure that the machine, the business, the machine that is your business, is firing all cylinders. So. In difficult times, we see innovation. I think world wars, global pandemics, there seems to be that innovation is increased. It becomes more agile and things happen quicker. Um, we're seeing a lot of that now with supermarkets being able to deal with people queuing outside and um, putting up the barriers at the checkouts, etc. For businesses to drive and come out of this challenge and be productive, my feeling is we need to harness that agile approach and keep hold of it rather than let business politics and bureaucracy get in the way. Yeah, I mean, a lot of businesses, I talk to lots of businesses and um, you've got different camps, actually. Some are kind of hoping the government will supply enough cash. Let's face it, even bounce back loan, you know, you've got to pay them back at some point. But hoping there's enough money out there to support them so they can kind of stick their head in the sand and hopefully the side, pull it out of the sand and carry on where they left off. But I think that's a dangerous, dangerous strategy. I think you have to be um, looking at your business, even if it's kind of mothballed at the moment, looking at it long and hard and thinking, right, even now today, how can I, how can I protect the revenue I've got, keep the customers I've got, augment my business to drive new revenues? So you've seen lots of shops, you know, turn into um, sort of, you know, online delivery businesses where they never had to do that before. Lots of people have innovated on the top line but also it's a question of, literally, I've said to many people, um, go pull out your management accounts, now you've got the time maybe, and go through every single line from staples to people to rent rates 
you probably saw that Twitter have now decided that um, people can work from home forever. If your business yep. allows for that, you know, do you need an office even, or can you halve the size of it? Go through every single line in your management accounts and think long and hard about, do I need that cost? Can I improve that cost kind of by reducing it? Can I renegotiate it or you know, can I get more for my money in some way? I think that's what you need to be doing now. So there's something about the, the plan and the business strategy there, isn't it? I think one of those lines in that management accounts will certainly be traveling expenses because most businesses will have seen that disappear to almost zero in the last couple of months. Yeah. So again. I mean, yeah, on that. So I, I actually, my, one of my old businesses, we put in the whole communication systems, the BE systems and, you know, FTSE 100s and government. And a lot of that we were driving is, you know, video conferencing. And the, the issue wasn't selling it sometimes. It was adoption because people, you know, they like to do things the way they used to do it. Now you've got millennials and Gen Z in the workplace. You know, they're used to multitasking, you know, texting on one phone, TikToking on the other, <laughs> like Skyping or Zooming on another one. So they're, in a way, they're kind of the millennial, the way in which they interact with technology is, is a good thing because they're, they're, they're inherently potentially more productive. So, you know, video calls, you know, it's amazing how comfortable people now have become on video calls. And I think that is a huge opportunity now to, um, you know, cities were developed because we had to bring together the units of production and increasingly in an information economy, the units of production are people. And you've got to ask yourself, you know, do you need to bring people into one place um, so, they, so they can interact in the way they used to and carry that, you know, that rent and that rates overhead. And you were saying that, you know, during difficult times, people innovate, you know, best examples, radar during the war. But I think that now is the time to really look at your business and think about how is the world going to look post this pandemic? Because, you know, things, people have short memories, things will go back to normal to some extent, but I think some things will change. I think in some ways you can use it as a catalyst to actually bring about change in your business and in ways that may improve um, your employee experience and also your customer experience. No, I totally agree. It'd be interesting to see the number of video calls that remain when we're allowed to get out more and, and travel more. There'll be some businesses that are still have a growth mentality. Uh, I think that that's a good thing to be positive and, and look at moving forward. Clearly things like health and safety have always been a priority, but even more so. But where, where should productivity fit in that kind of um, consideration along with customer service you talked about before and all the other bits that at that board level will be on your agenda? So one thing I, I was talking about is about it's, it's a pantomime horse. And I don't know if you, we talked about it briefly, is that yep. if you want to grow your business and I don't care whether you're growing from five grand to 50 grand or 50 to 250 or, you know, five million to 50 million, then you have to get your, I would say, get your ducks in a row. You've got to prepare to grow before you grow. And this is why lots of fast growing companies, especially tech companies in some ways, you know, or any company really, the wheels can fall off because and I speak from experience, having been involved in you know, several growth businesses, where you might be doing particularly well. You've got your product market fit. We've got an existing product that really works. You found a new way of selling it, or you become more efficient at selling it, and the, the front end begins to accelerate uh, your sales, but the back end of your pantomime horse can't keep up. And eventually, the thing snaps in two, and it doesn't matter, you know, what you're selling uh, if you're salespeople are selling products you haven't actually finished bringing to market yet or perfecting, you have a problem. And 
many businesses fall over because they either overtrade or they just don't actually put the systems. And it's about down to process systems and people. And you know, you're, you know but this better than I do is that you know people are you know the most important part of your business. You know the the, the cog in that wheel of your business. And if they don't know what they're doing, how they should be doing it, they're not onboarded properly. They're not trained properly. I think you mentioned one of your customers, I mentioned the name, but you mentioned one of your customers in retail where just by changing the way that they walked around the store and did the, the stock taking, took out you know an hour in each person's day, times that by X people per store, times X stores across the country, plus what they get paid an hour, it turned into millions of pounds. Now, any business has got fat somewhere in there that when you are in some ways let's face it right now, forced to look at it, you'll be able to reduce it. And that fat falls down to cost and the end of the day profit. And, and also risk, isn't it? Because it's about managing risk. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it was interesting when you gave your background before you talked about that whole venture capitalist world. As certainly in retail, more businesses become owned by venture capitalists or second generation venture capitalists. Do you think that increases the focus on productivity because they're looking for the either longer term or shorter term return on that business? Oh, that's another podcast as well. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, uh, so I think we, we, the issue with VCs is, is that it, it, most VCs have got a, a three, five year, you know, you've all heard this, a, a funding window because they've got 10 year funds. You need to get the money in mm-hmm. and out. So what they're looking for, and especially this is more so in technology, what you'll hear in kind of your mid-market VCs is they want to see that you've proven the model, you've got your customer, they've got the product market fit right, you're now ready to scale. You can show that there's a return investment in your marketing and then you can grow the front end. And then often the back end needs to catch up. Now, most well-run businesses, good management, again, they'll make sure the back end, the people, process and systems are in place to grow. But they're quite focused on growth, which can be the, the big numbers at the top. And especially as you're drawing near to exit, you know, that growth and the margin is um, potentially very important. It's not so much sometimes with the bottom line. Now, if you're not in technology, you're more of a traditional business, um, then it, depend, it can be similar, similar, they look at it in a similar way. But often your front end, the revenue line, might not be growing as quickly as it possibly can do in, say, a technology B2B platform. So you potentially have more time and you have to make things um, more efficient and work better because you're talking about real physical, you know, widgets, whatever it might be. And software, you can rewrite it overnight. You know, supply chains, people, training, health and safety, when you're manufacturing, for example, is a bit more serious. Yeah, having worked in VCM companies and um, public companies, you get two very different dynamics at times, dependent on how buoyant or not sales are. Yeah, I mean, it, it all depends on your investors and what their um, agenda is at the end of the day, which can drive the business. And that's why, again, it's, it's important that when you're um, working with external investors that in your agreements, that you're very clear what the objectives are and how you're going to get there, because that's going to drive uh, behaviours. Yeah, absolutely. And, and tech plays an important part, regardless of, of ownership or industry in terms of driving those productivity um, agendas. And I think certainly, as you know, we focus on retail, manufacturing, um, supply chain. 
in manufacturing specifically, we're seeing lots of things like robots on production lines. In hospitality, we're seeing cool things like robot vacuum cleaners come in. Yeah. Traditional big box retailer. Um, I think the biggest kind of innovation was probably EPOS is the, the biggest one that sticks back in my mind, going from manual cash registers to some automation part. Yeah. Um, it doesn't seem to be as impactful in service industries for some reason. I don't know if you've got any views on that. Well, so I think things like, um, I think, so not too long ago, you might look at EPOS or your CRM, all these different things. They weren't as easy to integrate. You know, you, there's a, a whole industry called systems integrators. Yep. Which, you know, <laughs> Charles a fortune to make all these things work or just write a whole new platform for you. Whereas now, the beauty technology now is an API. So it's a lot of these things can work together, even if they come from, you know, different sources. So that's been... You know, I would say that with technology, you should try and automate as much as you possibly can. Now, if you look out, you look at AI and robotics and, you know, putting AI into, you know, robots, I think that um, a lot of um, labor, the labor market is going to change massively. And that's not just forklift truck drivers and, you know, Uber drivers. This is lawyers, you know, accountants have got a major problem because computers are pretty good at adding up. Um, yep. So it's the professions as well. And I think in manufacturing, you will see uh, more and more automation as the software that's driving it becomes um, cleverer. Now, that's that's not a... And the, the big the big question the jury's out is, is what happens to people that are disintermediated, replaced? And you have the extremes where no one will be working. You'll need some kind of you know, universal income. But I think... Again, going back to my experience as a trustee of Nesta, this innovation charity, what the research shows is this, and this is true for businesses and individuals actually working in businesses, is that technology um, is good at doing basic repetitive tasks. As it gets cleverer, it'll get better at doing these things. But the difference between the human and technology is creativity. And you know, if you're a chef or an artist, you're pretty safe currently but the creativity is not just about the individual it's about your business and how you add value for your customer now you create efficiency for your customer or save them money or help them make more money if you're b2b or having a fantastic product or customer experience if you're b2c so it's about looking at where you are and what i call it is moving up that value pyramid like you know if you're in um manufacturing you need to be looking at um producing you know, reducing your costs, becoming more efficient, becoming more productive to compete in a global um, economy. Because even if in the UK we're struggling to keep up with productivity, in other countries, if they embrace new technologies, that's who you're competing with. So you have to embrace tech, but you also got to think very long and hard about the innovation and the creativity and what value you're adding. Because if you don't add value, this is in retail, isn't it? If you don't add value in retail increasingly, you are providing a similar product at a similar price to the average customer. Amazon's going to kill you. So you have to think about how you add value for that target end customer in ways that perhaps you never had to think about before. And, and that could just be customer service. It doesn't need to be the actual product. It could be just the way in which you sell it and the way in which you support it. Yeah, and I think we're increasingly seeing people going down the route of introducing tech to free up time for service so the overall cost base may say the same or slightly reduced but actually what they're doing is investing that time back into the personalization of service 
or the experience piece and let the tech do the heavy lifting behind the scenes. Yeah, I totally agree. And that's 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 adding value in ways that um, you know, the big the big players, the really big players just can't do. Yeah, and I think the some of the challenge we've seen with that is sometimes when the tech adds in more process than there was there before. So, you know, well, yeah, it's tech for tech's sake. That's where you, know, you, you, you hire a CTO and they're like, right, you know, let's, let's listen to what Pierre said and, and do automate whatever we can. But there's, you know, the, the, you've got to have a need. And this is, guess what you do, isn't it? You look at business and the process and where you can actually use technology in a way that's actually cost effective. Yeah, and understand the end result. So what's the end process? Because with some of these big HR, CRM solutions, payroll solutions, there's extra process steps that creep in. But actually, if they take less time or reduce upstream work, but it takes more time, that's fine. It's the the overall sum of the parts. And sometimes people only see bits of that jigsaw. And unfortunately, it's normally when it's landed and pretty much paid for with lots of time and effort investment, those other bits appear. Yeah. And you then get you then get the feedback that, you know, computer says no, computer says yes, or actually there's a whole bunch of things that make this difficult, but it's more about it wasn't fully thought through end to end at the start rather than the tech. Yeah, and I guess you've seen it in what you do as well. Many businesses where, you know, they've been on five year implementation programs. Now what's the point? <laughs> you know, by the yeah. time, you, time you've finished it, you know, you've got to, it's like the fourth bridge. You've got to start painting it again. Yeah, I've been involved in one of those. You know, I won't mention the company, but yeah, a, a HR implementation project that I think took six, seven years in the end. Yeah, um, and that and that was all based on trying to bottom out and make it do every possible thing for every permutation, rather than be agile, getting an iteration that does. 60 70 percent and and see what the user feedback is from there yeah and i think that's a good point i think no matter what you do whether it's um you know it is a uh, industrial manufacturing retail no matter what you are i think what you can take away from the tech industry and especially you know, software driven businesses is the agile approach and, and also lean management is you're absolutely right you know if your product if you think your product is absolutely perfect when you launch it then you you've taken too long there's no doubt about it and it's about that test, learn, build, you know, learn on the job. The the waterfall approach where you try and come up with a perfect architect's drawing, you know, and build the perfect building. Those days are gone. You need to, you know, start with some foundations, see if your customer likes them, add a few walls, are they the right? If not, move them. Add a door, stick some windows in, change those if needs be, and build it like that, listening to your stakeholders. Because um, the build it and they will come approach, I think these days is just, too high risk because the world's changing too quickly yeah yeah no i totally agree totally agree so that's been a, a fascinating chat Piers. um one question we're asking everybody that comes on the podcast is what's the best bit of business advice you've ever been given oh i've had a lot now my ex-chairman good friend of mine is sir ken Alyssa, who's ex-ibm sales at old school he's also the lord lieutenant of greater london and he he always said to me um you know it, it's about selling and when I got into business, I thought, you know, we're clever. We've got business plans. We raise some money. We know we've, we've got a great, it's a huge market opportunity, but never stop selling. So my advice is always sell, 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 and then go and sell some more because sales at the end of the day um, can make all sorts of issues in your business seem much less painful. Yeah, no, absolutely. Again, one of the mantras somewhere I worked was it's, 
it's easy to repair the roof when the sun's shining. Absolutely right. So, uh, I think even in these times, uh, you know, it is a, an opportunity to think about how do you keep selling now and use this time to plan about building and growing your business, you know, post these difficult periods. Brilliant. Well, it's two two Lancashire lads having a nice chat because I was I was brought up and born in uh, in Leyland Preston, so um, some good I, Lancashire I, advice I from both of us. Now. I went to Burnley College as well. So there you uh, go. Great chatting to you, Sam. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Brilliant. Thanks, Piers. Cheers. Bye now.